Hello, Great Minds, and welcome to Drinks with Great Minds in History. It's not Friday, but who really gives a shit? So, we couldn't help ourselves. We had to get together, because we haven't for a while, and talk about what today is. The day this will air, Election Day. Uh, but we don't get political on this show, Mr. DGMH, and right you are. So today, uh, me and some of your favorite SHOTS regulars, including SHOTS regular guy Luke Franchuk, are going to get together to share with you our favorite elections in American history. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. Election Day. Woo! So welcome to the show, everyone. How you doing? Good. Hi, Zach. Hi, hi, hi. Doing well. Luke and I have been together for like a half hour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I see Kelly every day. So Colin, how you been? It's been a while. Good, good. Uh, we, uh, we've been plugging along in person uh, teaching uh, until today. We were just commiserating the uh, COVID finally found our district and uh, we're going online for a while. Yes, both Luke and Colin Kelly are, uh, are going online cyber and it's funny because they're both from pennsylvania and we're both from florida uh, and we are so far from going online <laughs> that we're basically paper-based uh <laughs> get out your abacus children we're gonna spread it and pass it around and give it a uh, yeah, yeah. so uh let's go through what we're drinking tonight uh very quickly uh so luke i am drinking zach an ice cold Yingling Lager Whoa. from America's oldest brewery no in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Crazy. <laughs> America's oldest brewery in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. And guess what, listeners? On Friday this week, Luke and I are going to be airing a Yingling birthday special. So be sure to tune in and listen to that. So, Kelly, what are you drinking? I tried to find something that was presidential sounding. I found that my favorite beer, which is an Abita Amber. Oh, fun. Uh, uh, from Abita Springs, Louisiana. It is delish. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Is it flavored or is it just an amber? Just an amber. Abita has a lot of like raspberry ones too and stuff, right? Their strawberries really good. All their beers are good. So they have a hard root beer that's like will knock you on your butt. I love it. <laughs> Helen, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a uh, blush wine. It's uh, from Liberty Vineyards, which is nearby my place up in Erie. And uh, I just didn't feel like beer tonight, so I went with the uh, vino. I'm feeling beer right now. Did you say it's a pinot? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, no, it's not pinot. It's uh, it's a blush. It's called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. That's oh, the name of it. So now, it's uh, vineyard. Oh, I'm sorry. What you guys don't know about Cullen is that he actually makes his own wine, and someday I, I hope he'll feature one of his <laughs> blue. <laughs> <laughs> Cullen. Yes, yes. I buy the juice up there, and that's you know that's grape country up along the Erie. So every year I, I'm making some Riesling this fall. In fact, uh-huh. in my basement well, so. i hope to get to try that someday yeah <laughs> uh, bring it on the show uh all right uh you know we haven't plugged this yet but cullen you also wrote a book of poems what's that uh what's that title uh it's called drinking with covid and uh As yeah it's uh, <laughs> right exactly every every evening i would have a, a beer and watch the uh sunset and sometimes make some poems and finally uh at the end of the summer i put the the collection together and uh because i you know with the covid universe you know you know who knows if i'll be here a year from now or something if i'm that uh targeted air you can get it on amazon yes 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 it's on amazon five bucks i made it pretty cheap just to share with friends so this episode of dvmh is sponsored by drinking <laughs> COVID by Colin uh, no. <laughs> uh 
<laughs> All right, awesome. So uh, I tonight am drinking a Yingling Flight because I always wanted to try this and I can honestly say it's not my favorite. But on that note, it's only 95 calories, 4.2% alcohol, and 2.6 carbs. So at least I will feel light and pretty after a drink. It's a school night beer. Yeah, there you go. Is it like <laughs> a Corona? I've never tried it either. Corona Premier I love. This doesn't taste... Corona Premier tastes like a slightly watered down Corona, and it's better than the Corona Light. Yingling Flight... Like, Yingling Light tastes like Yingling. Yingling Flight tastes like not Yingling. Um <laughs> But if we're talking school night beers, it's also my father-in-law's birthday. So not only did I go out for tacos and have a beer, but I had two <laughs> beers with him. And then I had a beer with Luke. And now I have another beer. So so uh, in case you didn't catch that, tonight I am joined by Luke, Cullen, and Kelly. And we are each going to share with you our favorite pieces of electoral history. I will say that we are recording this on Monday and that this is releasing on Tuesday. So it's going to be a little more of an uncut, unfiltered, not so clean version of DGMH. But that is perfect so that I can tell you that uh, uncut versions are a great thing uh, and that you can get access to them yourselves by visiting my Patreon page where all of your favorite DGMH content will be featured uncut, unfiltered, un uh, without ads, and, you know, all the crazy shit that has to get cut out of the show, uh, you can hear. Check that out. All right, so let's get to the elections, and then we have a little bonus conversation at the end to discuss for those of us that brought one. And I believe we decided that, Cullen, you would be going first. So what election did you bring as your favorite election in American history? I went way back to the election of 1800, made famous now by Hamilton, obviously, with the musical, and uh, the one that we saw Hamilton kind of meddle in with getting his Federalists to throw their votes behind Jefferson. The reason I picked it, it shows the first true transfer of political power between the parties. And... uh, say what you will about the Adams administration, but that, you know, when he did step down, it was the first time we saw a bloodless transition, you know, whereas for hundreds of not thousands of years of you know, any time a regime would come to power, the other one would go out, you know, swinging a sword and you know, not uh, not without stepping that, down peacefully. Not that Cincinnatus uh, leader, <laughs> right? The other interesting thing about it was, as you may know, it was a uh, the electoral tie was seventy three to seventy three versus Je- Jefferson versus Burr, and so the election got kicked into the House, which was a Federalist run House at the time, so they really didn't know what to do with it. But they voted thirty five times and were unable to break the tie, which shows, you know, if, if you wanted to look at an election to see where the, the country was in crisis as to what to do, you know, there was there was a time period there where nobody was sure what, what came next. And finally, you know, obviously with Hamilton's backing, the, you know, Jefferson gets the nod. And then later, the 12th Amendment will take care of that, where the vice president, you know, the, today we have a, you know, a ticket, you know, more mm-hmm. or less with the president, vice president. But so my, my point to this is the reason I picked the 1800 election is when whatever divisiveness there is in America, we need to remember that we are a storied, uh, we have a storied history of a peaceful transition of power where one side steps down and, you know, accepts the next administration, whoever that is. And nowhere in, in the United States Constitution under Article 3 of the Supreme Court do we see anything written where the Supreme Court gets to swoop in from Mount Olympus and determine the will of the people. That was never the intention of the forefathers. There is no grounds for that to happen other than it, what happened. If ha- anything, it was to put it to the hands of the people. Right, right. And the, the people's house. The representatives, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, you know, if for some reason tomorrow, if there were a tie in the Electoral College, I don't want to hear Supreme Court. It's House of Representatives. Go back to 1800, know your history. Vote so 36 times if you have to. <laughs> right. 30. You want the Constitution to be followed. 
You got it. I feel like sometimes people need to do something crazy, crazy and read that document because it, the answer is right there for 90% of things. And I'm a very strict interpreter of the constitution. What it says is what it says. Awesome. Anything else to add, Cullen? Uh, no, no, that's, that was my election bit. Probably, I mean, it, really, it's, it's not the first election in American history, but it is, it is such an important election because, you know, and again, credit to John Adams. Without him, I don't know, not everybody would have done what Adams did quietly. Well, and, and remember, he, during the uh, Alien and Sedition Acts, you know, there was, that was a rough time for our, our history. You know, he went down a dark path there with, uh, with the Federalist Party, and the Democratic Republicans had no time for that, you know, the concept of not being able to criticize the government. Now, to be fair, though, <laughs> I have Adams wasn't too he, fond of, of the Alien and Sedition Acts yeah, either. He didn't use them very much, is what I've heard, but it was enough just to path, ratify them that it was one of the f- many things that, Cost he had major reservations about signing them into law and hmm. pretty much only did so because of party pressure. Party, party pressure. Yeah. The Federalists <laughs> were great at one thing, one thing alone, shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, <laughs> and that's about it. So I believe that our next election would bring us to Luke, yes? Yeah, I think what we said mean? I was going to be next. Uh, it's funny, Cullen, that you brought up about how the Supreme Court has no right to go in and decide an election. <laughs> I am going to talk about the 2000 presidential election. <laughs> Which it did. Totally out of order, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, whatever. Luke, you're going next. Go ahead. You have a good transition. It works. <laughs> well, no, I feel bad. No, it's a perfect... No, go for it. No, he's right. All right. Roll forward. All right. The 54th quadrennial presidential election in 2000 was one of the closest elections in American history between Democratic candidate Vice President Al Gore and the Republican candidate Texas Governor George W. Bush. On Tuesday, November 7th, 2000, the election came to a head. The race was close all night. Eventually, it came down to a single state, Florida. Because American presidential elections are not won based on popular vote, instead the White House is won via the Electoral College, which is a point-based system on the population of respective states. There are 538 possible electoral votes. A candidate needs 270 in order to be declared the winner. For example, in 2000, California was worth 54 electoral votes. Delaware, with a much smaller population, was worth three electoral votes. Florida was worth 25. After 49 states plus the District of Columbia had submitted their votes, neither candidate had enough electoral votes to win the presidency. Gore had 255, Bush had 247. So whoever won Florida would win the presidency. But Florida's vote count was too close to call, which automatically triggered a recount. When the initial vo- recount was completed... Florida. Next- Florida. What? Way to go, Florida. When the initial (laughs) recount was completed the next day, November 8th, Governor Bush had a small lead of around 900 popular votes out of nearly 6 million ballots cast. Such an narrow margin allowed the Gore campaign to insist a recount by hand in four crucial counties, Volusia, Miami-Dade, Palm Beach, and Broward. This meant the team of election workers in each of these counties had to recount each vote on each ballot by hand. Catherine Harris, the Florida Secretary of State, who also served as the chairperson of the Bush campaign in Florida. <laughs> conflict. <laughs> I don't think that's a conflict. that the recount be completed by November 14th. The Gore campaign wanted more time to count the votes and appealed that decision to the Florida Supreme Court, which extended the recount to November 26th. Even with this extension, though, only Volusia and Broward counties completed their recounts. Miami-Dade actually gave up and resubmitted their original total. Palm Beach County submitted their recounted votes two hours after the state-imposed deadline 
and were rejected. So they had their original counts also. So it sounds like Florida just kind of said, eh, fuck it, we'll do whatever we want anyway. Specifically two counties in Florida. With only two counties submitting verified recounted votes, Bush's lead shrunk to around 500 popular votes. So then this Florida Supreme Court granted another Gore campaign request for a larger recount of 70,000 questionable ballots. And this is where things get fun. The dangling Chad. (laughs) Some ballots were printed using a hole punch method for indicating a vote. But if the hole wasn't punched properly, a hanging Chad, the machine wouldn't register the vote. In Palm Beach County, 29,000 ballots were found spoiled and were discarded because they weren't properly punched or because multiple candidates were voted for, presumably by mistake. Al Gore said, ignoring votes means ignoring democracy itself. It was now 19 days after the election and a winner had still not been declared. At this point, the United States Supreme Court stepped in and stopped the recount. By a 5-4 vote, the Supreme Court ordered a recount halted, arguing that a recount of only some ballots violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Given, given the various methods that were used to process votes, whether hole punch, electronic voting machines, filling in circles, etc., holding every ballot to the same recount verification standard was impossible. Technically, the U.S. Supreme Court still allowed the Florida Supreme Court to have the final say, but the Florida Supreme Court had nothing else to do besides dismiss the case. Therefore, the previously certified vote total was upheld, and George Bush was declared the winner of of Florida's 25 electoral votes. So what I'm hearing is that the Supreme Court can actually get involved in elections. Critics bitterly claim that Gore lost the election by just (laughs) one vote. Al Gore was the first candidate in 112 years to lose the electoral vote, but win the popular vote. In fact, Gore had almost 550,000 more popular votes nationwide than George W. Bush. More recently, popular votes. More recently, this happened in 2016 when Donald Trump won the Electoral College, but lost the nationwide popular vote to Hillary Clinton by almost 3 million votes. We're virgin on political. George Bush was inaugurated president on January 20th. And Al Gore did stuff with the, with the climate. Yes, and didn't he invent the internet or something like that in the process? Yeah, something like that. I invented the internet. So the Supreme Court has a, a role in protecting, safeguarding American democracy, but they have no role in the outcome of elections. Right. If it's asked by a state to intervene and rule on a state case, it can come in and make a decision. But that would be a case-by-case basis. And in that case, it did, it did interfere. Well, it, it made a determination. I shouldn't say interfere. But. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So from 1800 to 2000, that's 200 years. And I, I'm sorry I hesitated with that math. Uh, but that's a 200-year gap. And I think we're going to hit a few more in the middle here. So, Kelly, uh, just out of courtesy, why don't you go ahead and go next? We'll travel back in time, but not so far back as, as mine. So what is your election? Uh, I'm going with the election of 1948. So, which is by some considered the greatest upset in American history. So this is an election between incumbent Harry Truman versus Thomas E. Dewey. And Truman had kind of an uphill battle. So he, we had just finished the Second World War and that we had just jumped into this escalations with Russia for the Cold War. And Americans are kind of starting to split, especially with the Democratic Party. So a lot of Democrats on the far left kind of upset with Truman because they thought he was like too aggressive and too harsh on Russia. But then you also have those Southern Democrats who were mad at Truman because he started, you know, giving blacks rights and he was into the civil rights movement. 
So they formed their own party called the States' Rights Party and even nominated someone to run for the candidacy. So the Democratic Party, I don't want to say split in two, but it, you know, it fractured off. So pretty much everyone except for Harry Truman thought that Truman was going to lose this election. And newspapers had been printing for months talking about how Dewey was going to win, going to win. And election night, newspapers had printed that Dewey was the president of the United States. Yes, Dewey defeats Truman, right? Dewey defeats Truman. But then in the middle of the night, one of his secret service um, agents wakes him up and tells him like, oh no, you actually won the election. And one of my all-time favorite photographs is Harry Truman holding up that newspaper that says Dewey is the president. It is so so great. I love that moment. So that's an awesome one. Did you have anything else to add, Kelly? I just think it was actually interesting um, that he was so contested because it's like he was the president that ended World War II. Yet he had so much, you know, kind of hate coming at him. It's almost like people forgot three years later and what had I happened. I think he handled the early Cold War almost perfectly. I agree. Uh, yeah. So having someone like Truman who wasn't afraid to stand up to Stalin was kind of crucial. And I mean, it's hard to say what would happen if Truman wouldn't have been that hardline mm-hmm. president that we had. I mean, what ifs are fun, but... It's interesting about the integration of troops causing a rift in the Southern Democratic Party. The Dixiecrats, is that Truman? Yeah, the Dixiecrats, right, right. So. Um, yeah, because, I mean, he, I'm not saying he was a, a perfect civil rights president, but he was certainly, he was going with the tide, I think. He was not fighting it. Uh, what, he was the first one to, he desegregated the military, right? Right. He allowed, yeah, troops to, black troops and white troops to serve, not in the same unit, but in the same capacities sometimes, like yeah, doing the same and, types of jobs. I mean, and this is a big step from, what, 30 years prior in World War One, where black troops had to serve with the French army because we wouldn't let them serve in the same capacity as the AEF. And I know that's a big leap uh, far back, but not much had changed uh, since World War One. I. I mean, I think FDR was the first one to make a move towards desegregation with um, government offices. I think. And then Truman kind of took it up and on. So, yeah. And the fact that some of the Southern Democrats turned on him for that, later we'll see them do the same with Kennedy in the 1960s with the Civil or the civil Rights. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts, questions, concerns, comments we want to make? Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, when he was trying to, um, because everyone said, told him he was going to lose, going to lose, he would do a lot more rallies. And that's mm-hmm. when all the crowds would yell, give him hell, Harry. Yeah, so, he like traveled on- like He really did like round, round up his base. It was like called a whistle post campaign. So he basically like went from small town to small town to small town yeah. to small town, like two weeks before the election, just hit every small town he could and showed the people who he was and completely turned things around uh, because rural America votes. There's yep. no way around it. They do. Uh, so that's the end. Well, I, on, on, you know, kind of a nice liaison. Again, we've all covered kind of a beautiful shit show in our own right. But I think that mine is by far the most beautiful shit show of them all. Uh, so for me, it had to be the election of 1912. Uh, this is my favorite presidential election in history, for sure. But a quick rundown. William Howard Taft has spent the last four years royally fucking up and pissing off his predecessor, Big Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, so he was Theodore Roosevelt's chosen successor. And Taft had basically rolled back most of Teddy's conservationist policies and even fired Theodore Roosevelt's good friend, Gifford Pinchot. And beyond that, he had kind of like become the embodiment of everything Roosevelt hated. This was pretty much too much for Teddy. So in the election of 1912, uh, in the years, the year prior, he decided to come out of retirement from hunting elephants in Africa and run for president against the sitting president of the United States, William Howard Taft. 
Now, again, this is the man he had previously endorsed. But in the end, Taft did get the Republican nomination. But that doesn't really slow down Big Teddy. And that's what I love about Theodore Roosevelt. He's just like, oh, I lost. Fuck it. All right. So what's he do? Big Teddy says... Uh, ain't nothing gonna slow me down. So he grabs his big stick and comes back swinging, this time riding on top of a bull moose. So Teddy forms his own political party, the Progressive Republican or Bull Moose Party. And for those of you who don't want to know what a bull moose is, it's a big ass moose. Uh, so it's uh, <laughs> a basic way to describe it. That's all I got. So, and this was a big deal. Basically, every progressive Republican voted for Theodore Roosevelt, essentially, like we saw in some of the other elections we've talked about, dividing the Republican Party in half, dividing the Republican vote in half. And then we enter the Democrats with their candidate, Woodrow Wilson. The man literally... No one expected to win this election, but he fucking did. So Woodrow Wilson was actually the first Southern Democrat to be elected president since before the American Civil War. So that is like a big moment. But beyond that, he wasn't the only other candidate in there. And that's what makes it such a beautiful shit show is that there were actually four people running for president of the United States. Theodore Roosevelt, Bull Moose, Taft Republican, Wilson Democrat, and Eugene V. Debs, Socialist. All right, in a time where being socialist was a thing that wasn't very liked, unlike today. Uh, so uh, Eugene V. Debs actually was running for president while in prison, right, Kelly? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. He had been in prison for actions taken during a strike. Uh, so Debs actually got 6% of the popular vote, which really isn't that bad. I mean, considering he was running a campaign from prison. In the end, Woodrow Wilson secured an overwhelming 435 electoral votes. The irony, of course, is that Theodore Roosevelt got second place in electoral votes with about 88. Had he not divided the votes, the Republicans would have won the popular vote by more than a million votes. Only Utah and Vermont gave their electoral votes to Taft, despite the fact that he had secured nearly 3.5 million votes to Theodore Roosevelt's 4.1 million. However, Woodrow Wilson came out on top uh, with a popular vote too, with a towering 6.3 million votes. Uh, He secured the South and most of the North, losing really only Pennsylvania and California and a few other smaller states along the way. So in my mind, I thought, what can we learn from this? Well, divided political parties can't win an election. Theodore Roosevelt was possibly the biggest badass of all time. And Taft couldn't get more than eight electoral votes than a guy who ran for president while in prison. So I don't know what's more embarrassing, that or getting stuck in a tub. But let's move on to the second part. I'm sorry, did you guys have any comments on that election? I should give you a chance. That was good. I just had a question. Was that that the election where Theodore Roosevelt got shot? And then it finishes the speech. Yes, and then it's like, ah, <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Theodore Roosevelt, there's a million reasons he's badass. Not only is he a big game hunter, but when he sees a teddy bear, a little bear cub in a tree, he refuses to shoot it because it seems unsportsmanlike. It's like everything this man does. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, that was, it was this election, Zach. What? That teddy was shot. It was. Oh, you look yes. it up. It was this yes. election. Oh my God. He was, he was at a campaign stop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he wow. didn't win. What the? <laughs> he, he was shot in the that chest. Won my vote. <laughs> the bullet penetrated his steel eyeglass case and a 50-page single-folded folded copy of his speech. Yes, yes. His speech yes. was so big that it protected <laughs> yeah. him from a bullet. That's yeah. right. It was my uh, Thanks oh, for that. That's perfect. I yeah. love it. He declined suggestions to go to the hospital and instead delivered his scheduled speech with blood seeping into his shirt. <laughs> 
His opening comments to the gathered crowd were, quote, Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I've just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. Yes, that's right. I should have done that. That's right. He spoke for 90 minutes before completing his speech and yes, then went to the hospital. Damn. His quote said bull moose. Yes, I love it, love it, love it. Oh, good. Wow. Good, good. Epic. I don't know. Has anybody changed their mind on their favorite election based on the conversations had today? I have like 10 favorite elections. No, me too. <laughs> me too. So I couldn't just leave it at that. And I thought, why not come with a little side piece of information here? So we'll move on to the second part of our show. And if you didn't bring one, that's okay. But let's move on to our favorite campaign slogans in history. So who would like to go first? You should go first, Zach. I will gladly go first. So mine is another shout out to the same period of time, this time William Howard Taft's political campaign in 1908. So there are two reasons, because one, it's just so sarcastic that it's, it's like so me. I love it. But also because it brings in one of my favorite historical characters of all time. And Kelly knows exactly who I'm going for here. So one of my favorite historical figures will always be William Jennings Bryan, my cross of gold bearing, crown of thorns loving crazy Catholic or Christian anti-evolution. Most random man in history. Most random man in history. He really is. My favorite slogan is vote for Taft now. You can vote for Brian anytime. William Jennings Bryan ran and lost against William McKinley, the industrialist president, the president of big business in both 1896 and 1900. And then he decided to come back after Theodore Roosevelt uh, decided to step down and run against William Howard Taft as the Democratic nominee. And again, that's where we get this, this awesome campaign slogan from William Howard Taft. He's basically endorsed by Theodore Roosevelt and he just says, you know what guys, Brian's gonna run again. Just vote for Big Tafty now and you can vote for Brian next time. And in the end, Taft, Taft won. But Brian always lost. So it's a great slogan. What about you guys? Um, I, mine is, I, I re read a lot of them, but I went with the symbol. Uh, this is Jimmy Carter in 1978, where he just said, not just peanuts. And ah. I think it just speaks to who he is. He's not just a little peanut farmer. There's more coming from Jimmy Carter. And obviously it worked. <laughs> it did. It, I mean, everything about Jimmy Carter is that quote. I mean, what he, when, he, when he said, I'm running for president, he went up to the Speaker of the House and said something along the lines of, my name's Jimmy Carter and I'm running for president. And when he left, the Speaker of the House turned to another representative and said, who was that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or something like he, that. He moved back to Plains, Georgia. I'm still living there today. Yes, so, Jimmy Carter's a great Building guy. houses. Good man. Wow, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anybody else have a campaign slogan? So in 1964, uh, Lyndon Johnson was running against uh, Republican Senator Barry Goldwater from Arizona. Nice Barry Goldwater had a slogan that said, in your heart, you know he's right. In response to that, the Johnson campaign said, in your guts, you know he's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Wow. Goldwater is the guy who ran on Let's Nuke Vietnam, right? Wow. But there's so many great ones. Cullen, did you have a campaign slogan you wanted to share? 1856, James Buchanan. His oh. nickname was Old Buck. Mm -hmm. And so the slogan is, we'll buck him in 56. <laughs> 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 so that nickname kind of hung there. Also, we poked him in 44 and pierced him in 54. 52 and we'll buck him in 56 was oh the old slogan. <laughs> so james buchanan bringing it james buchanan, um, the bachelor president yes the other one i liked was uh grants us another term in 1872 Ooh. when grants running for his second term kind of uh using his name there i thought that After was a political of, uh, scandal right uh, right right 
Credit Mobilay or whatever scandal wasn't that? Uh, yeah, those are. I love that. We'll buck him. Uh, we'll he buck him. He didn't really buck everything up during his presidency. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Impeached. Anything. Well, that was fun, and yeah. I, uh, I'll just uh, wrap it up by saying: be sure to join the Facebook page, Drinks with Great Minds in History. Check us out on Instagram at DGMH underscore History Podcast, Twitter as well. Uh, be sure to visit the Patreon page, maybe support the show, and don't forget to leave the show a great, hopefully five star review wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Other than that, uh, cheers to you guys! I keep saying that we're on a break, but I keep recording new content, and I never get a break. <laughs> uh, so cheers to uh, DGMH, and cheers to you guys. Thanks, and cheers. Uh, a safe transition of power. How about a, yeah, how about a cheers to the Republic? Mm-hmm. Yes. To the Republic. What do they say? The average Republic lasts about 250 years? Something like that. Something, We've had a good run. Like cheers.